All right, quick joke again this morning. What did the Zen Buddhist say to the hot dog vendor? Answer, make me one with everything. Some of you need to think about it. You'll, 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 you'll get it. You'll get it. It may take you a while. All right, we're going to continue. Some of you are still going. That's why I probably don't have a future in uh, being a comedian, but we're going to continue our series, Real Christianity, and I've entitled the message this morning, The Mind of Christ, The Mind of Christ. Lord, I just thank you for this morning. I thank you for the time of worship that we have had, and I thank you for our worship teams. As always, we're so blessed. Thank you for those that just volunteered yesterday also, Lord. Uh, it was just marvelous to see all the people volunteering, uh, making your place beautiful, Lord God. And now, Lord, as we turn to your word, I just ask that you would fill me afresh. Lord, I know this won't necessarily be easy. It may be almost the most important message because it's going to center on the Holy Spirit and his work. So I ask, Holy Spirit, that you would manifest yourself in a very powerful way this morning and that you truly would give us ears to hear, soft hearts to receive. And I just thank you what will transpire, and I really pray that people will be set free. And I ask for this in your precious name. Would you believe what you think matters? In fact, we've been talking about that. What you think up here will determine the decisions you make. The decisions you make determine your destiny. Your thinking determines the health of your soul. So our thinking is extremely, extremely important. We've been looking, you know, in this series, Real Christianity, we've been just talking about really the foundations, the real foundations of Christianity. And, and kind of the centerpiece, at least from our viewpoint, would be born again. I, I, I really believe the greatest problem in the American church is a lot of people that think they're born again. Actually, we don't even use the term. They think they're Christians, but they're not born again. We're dealing with an unregenerate clergy. You know, it's before, uh, you know, the first great awakening in the 1700s. Uh, it's amazing. You know, when the Holy Spirit's movement, it never happens in the church. Did you know that? That's no, true. The first great awakening happened outside the church. They couldn't handle the Holy Spirit. They couldn't handle George Whitfield. And Whitfield's out in the fields preaching. And you know what his big claim was as God was moving on him? He said, the clergy's unregenerate and you're unregenerate. He said, it's the biggest problem we're dealing with. And, and, and I, I want to continue really looking at that. I, I really want to challenge you with all of my heart. You know, and it starts with John chapter 3 and verse 3. You know, it's amazing. Nicodemus, this is a religious leader with the Jews. This is, this is supposed to be a spiritual guy. And Jesus says to him, you know, Nicodemus, if you were to die right now, right here tonight, you would not be in heaven. You would be in hell. You need to be born again. Can you imagine that? That is absolutely mind-blowing. And as we've seen, to be born again requires a conviction, a conviction about my condition. I mean, I can still remember vividly when I got saved. We called it back in the day radical salvation. I mean, all of a sudden, I went from seeing myself as good. I saw the darkness of my heart. I saw the narcissism, the self I mean, suddenly the Holy Spirit just was working on me in a four-month period. I mean, I was convicted to the very core of my being. 
And we have seen it's only the Holy Spirit that can bring conviction. It is a beautiful thing. Conviction is a beautiful, despite what all the garbage you hear out there, there's nothing more wonderful than conviction, and that's the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, you can have three responses to the Holy Spirit. The first response to the Holy Spirit in his convicting work is you can harden your heart. And by the way, you see a classic example in the book of Exodus. You see the greatest person, the most powerful person on planet Earth, Pharaoh, he hardens his heart against the convicting work of the Holy Spirit. You know what happens? His country ends in a shambles, his army ends in a shambles, and he is in a shambles. It's a dumb thing to do. A second response to the convicting work of the Holy Spirit is to turn it into condemnation. I see that all the time here in America. Pastor, I just feel condemned. Well, why? A classic example of someone who took conviction and turned it into condemnation was Judas. Judas betrays Jesus, and we're told these, you know, just unbelievable verses in Matthew chapter 27. Skip, can you... Put up those verses for us. When Judas, who had betrayed Jesus, realized that Jesus had been condemned to die, he was filled with remorse. So he took the 30 pieces of silver back to the leading priests and the elders. I have sinned, he declared, for I have betrayed an innocent man. What do we care, they retorted. That's your problem. That's the religious leaders. Nice guys. Then Judas threw the silver coins down in the temple and went out and he hanged himself. Isn't that something? He experienced conviction. I want you to understand, what Judas did is wrong. He's not a victim. It wasn't because his father mistreated him when he was young, okay? You know, and he didn't have the father wound or something like that. Judas did wrong. Real conviction. There's right and there's wrong. But notice what he does. He turns inward. He begins to feel sorry for himself. That's what remorse means. He begins to have his own pity party. And you know what happens when you have your own pity party? Ah, oh, Satan loves it, and he just comes in, and he begins to lie to you and bring all kinds of condemnation. And you know what the end result was? This guy hung himself. That's what happens when you feel condemned. That's not the work of God. But he does bring conviction. But we can turn it in when we make ourselves a victim and have our own pity party. And it's a shame to do that. You know, what a difference, though. Then you have Peter. Now, Peter, he denies knowing Jesus three times. That's not too swift either, is it? I mean, what's the difference? Betrayal, denial? Peter also is cut to, he's convinced. What Peter did is wrong. But Peter, in fact, it says he wept bitterly. He wept bitterly. But what was the difference? The difference was we're told that Peter repented. He repented. And I want to talk about repentance. Repentance means he understood what he did was dead wrong. And he said, I acknowledge that it's wrong. And I want to turn away from that. And I'm now going to turn to Jesus Christ. And I'm going to surrender to him and become obedient to him through the power of the Holy Spirit. And he receives incredible forgiveness and restoration. You see, Peter gives us a third response that you can have to to the work of the Holy Spirit. The third option is simply to repent, to genuinely repent, understand what you did is wrong, acknowledge that is wrong, and say, I'm turning from that, and now I'm going to turn. I am going to turn to Jesus Christ and surrender to him. That's the smart thing to do. I'm going to ask you, what is your response 
when you experience the convicting work of the Holy Spirit. You know, over the past couple of weeks, we've been talking about the marks. How do I know if I'm really born again? Well, the first mark, the way you know that you're born again, is have you genuinely repented? I don't mean feel sorry. Too many people feel sorry. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about repentance. We're talking about, hey, I recognize what I'm doing is wrong. I recognize that I'm being my own God. I'm recognizing that I'm living for self. I reject that. I understand that is wrong. Usually you're cut to the quick. Usually there there may be even tears with that. And you say, I'm turning to Jesus. I'm surrendering to him. I recognize his lordship, that he is savior. I'm receiving his forgiveness, and now I am following him. And that is the first mark. Have you truly, truly repented? The second mark, the second mark of being born again, is that you practice dying. Christianity, by and large, is a practice of death. In fact, we're told this in the book of Ephesians chapter 4. Skip put it up says that since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, throw off your old sinful nature, your old man, and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit of God renew your thoughts, your thinking, and your attitudes. Put on a new nature created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. You know, Paul tells us here that the Christian life is really one of constantly crucifying your flesh. Now, I understand that is virtually not even talked about anymore in the American church. That is what the Christian life is about. It is about dying. It's about dying, Frank, to your lust. Frank, it's about dying to your pride and your arrogance and your anger and your bitterness and your envy. All that you want, Frank, it's constantly dying. You see, the born-again person, the beautiful thing about becoming born again is I I got control of my life. I can say no. Why can I say no? I'm a new creation. If you're truly born again, you're a new creation. You can say no, and you can say yes to the Holy Spirit, and you can begin to live in victory. Gee, amen. Guys, if if I do nothing else, I'm going to wake people up. You can live in victory. Too many people are just living in defeat. Defeat in their mind, defeat in their life. You don't have to live there if you are born again. You know, Paul is clear in the passage that we just read, though, that the old nature still exists. Did you know that? The old nature, I mean, I still have to, you know, every day I have to battle lust. I have to battle greed. I have to battle envy. I have to battle anger. I have to battle bitterness. I have to battle a vengeful spirit. I have to battle all of those things. They're not eradicated. They're not gone in your life. Hey, you know, the Christian life really is one of a civil war. Have you ever just woken up and you notice there's a civil war going on? There's a con, no, the, in, the, the Christian, and, and the flesh is pulling me towards lust and greed and pride and raising up Frank Ray. And then the Holy Spirit's going, no, 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 Frank. You need to die. And it's pulling me towards Jesus and righteousness and his kingdom and, and pressing into God. There's this constant battle going on. In fact, Paul says it like this in Romans chapter 8. Skip, can you put up those verses? I'll look at it out of the scripture here. Listen to this now. Let these words really sink in. It says this here. Those who are dominated by the sinful nature, that's the old man, notice they're thinking. They think about fleshly things, about greed, about lust, about popularity, about fame, about being something in this world, all of those things. But those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit, notice the contrast. 
who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think their thoughts are what? About the things that please God or the Spirit. So letting your sinful nature, your old nature, control your mind, your thinking leads to death, separation from God. All right? But those who are controlled by the Spirit, now watch this. If, you're, if your mind is controlled by the Holy Spirit, your thinking is controlled by the Holy Spirit, it leads to, what is it? Life and peace. See, when someone tells me that they don't have peace, what they're telling me is the Spirit of God couldn't possibly be controlling them. He says that is why those who are still under the control of their sinful nature can never please God. But look at what he says. But he's saying to the Roman Christians, but you're not controlled by your sinful nature. You're not controlled by your old man. You are now controlled by the Spirit if, here it is, if you have the Spirit of God living in you. And remember that those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to him at all. Therefore, brothers and sisters, you have no obligation. Look at this. You do not have, you have no obligation. It has no control over your old man, your greed, your lust. All of that has no control over you. You You could say no. But if you live by its dictates, you will die. But if through the power of the Spirit you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you will live. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. So, you know, there is this battle going on between the flesh. Every single one of us, if you're born again, you have this battle of the flesh, and you have this battle of the new nature and the Holy Spirit. Let me just give you a couple examples. One example is you come home from work, right? And you're tired. I hear it all the time. I'm tired, Pastor. I'm just tired, okay? And so what does your flesh say? Well, veg out, right? Veg out. Turn on the zombie tube. And while you're at it, why don't you go to the fridge, grab yourself a big bowl of chocolate chip cookie dough ice cream and just sit there and spoon it in because you deserve it, right? Right? See, that's what the flesh is saying. What's the spirit saying? Frank, you're already physically flabby. And you're getting spiritually flabby. Turn off the zombie tube. Get off the couch. Go to the refrigerator and get some celery sticks. Then grab your Bible and feed your soul. Oh, what am I going to choose? What are you going to choose? See, I can say no to the flesh and yes to the Holy Spirit. You know, you have an argument with your spouse. No one here has that, right? Your spouse hurts you. That never happens, does it? Yeah, it does. And what does your flesh want to do? Let's just be honest. Your flesh says, I want them to pay. In fact, I'm going to give them the silent treatment. Two, three days. People are laughing. Two, three days. Then, you know, really to dig it in, let's cut them off sexually. That'll make them hurt. Right? Right? Make them pay. See, that's what, the, that's what the flesh says. What does the Holy Spirit say? The Holy Spirit says, humble yourself. In fact, why don't you apologize for your harsh words and your anger? Why don't you extend the olive branch? Or how about work? You gotta, do, you, do you have a coworker that just drives you crazy? I mean, they just get under you. I mean, at every turn, they're just, you know, doing everything to make your life miserable. So what does your flesh say? Your flesh says, hey, don't take that. 
In fact, I'll tell you what, when they're not looking, why don't you spike their coffee with some salt? And just for good measure, put a piece of clear tape on their mouse, on the bottom of it, and see how long it takes them to figure it out. I mean, every way you can, just do whatever you can to get back at it. And make, see, we're laughing at this. See, we all know the flesh is saying that, right? But what does the Spirit say? What's the Holy Spirit saying? He's saying, pray for him. What? Are you kidding me? You want me to pray for that jerk? Yeah, I want you to pray for him. I want you to pray for him. And not only that, guess what? See, he's having a problem over there. I want you to go and help him out. And I not only want to help him out, I want you to, you know, congratulate him whenever he's publicly recognized. Are you kidding me? Yeah, that's, that, that's what the Spirit is saying. See, there's this constant battle going on, though, between the flesh and the Spirit. Every day that is going on, and we're to say no. See, this is what the Christian life, no, no flesh, you will not control me, and I'm saying yes to the Holy Spirit. You know, if you understand what I'm talking about, now you're going to understand Philippians 2.12. Philippians 2.12 says this, Skip, quick, put it up. It says this, therefore, my dear brothers, as you have always obeyed, not only my presence, but now much more my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. You know what Paul is saying here? He's saying dying serious business. Dying is serious business. He's saying it's so serious, you need to do it with fear and trembling. He says, that means with the utmost seriousness, I need to take working out my salvation. I have a responsibility to grow and look like Christ. Did you know that? So do you. Every day, every hour, every moment it might be, no flesh, no, I'm not going to do that. I am going to follow what the Holy Spirit is saying to me. Every single one of us has to do that. You know, what absolutely astounds me, though, and you say, well, that's a lot of work. Of course it's a lot of work. But you know, we got people going to the YMCA at the YMCA, you know, and we're working that out. Then, 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 then we're going to the Planet Fitness. We got people plunking down hundreds of dollars on powdered drinks. And what for? Why are we doing it? To fix our temples up, right? To make our outside temples look good. Let me let you in on on a little secret. Do you know what's going to happen to your temple? Skip put up the picture. All due respect, your temple's going to become trash. It's going to get toast. It's going to become toast. See, the smart person understands and I'm not saying, hey, don't take care of your temple, but I'm saying your soul is eternal. We need to start really zeroing in and taking care of our soul, and that requires a lot of work. All right, the third mark of being born again, and we saw it last week. We began to look at the third mark of truly being born again is that your mind changes. Your mind begins to be transformed. And there are only two kinds of mind. There's a secular mind, there's a worldly mind, and then there's a heavenly mind. And when you become born again... You know what happens? The Holy Spirit downloads heavenly software into your soul, into your mind. In fact, the Apostle Paul says it like this in 1 Corinthians in chapter 2. He says this. Listen to these verses now very, very carefully, starting at verse 13. When we tell you these things, Paul's talking about spiritual things. We do not use words that come from human wisdom. Instead, we speak words given to us by the Spirit. 
using the Spirit's words to explain spiritual truths. But people who aren't spiritual, that means people who aren't saved, people who are not born again can't receive these truths from God's Spirit. It all sounds foolish to them. They can't understand it. Why? Because they're not born again. They don't have the heavenly software. For only those who are born again, spiritual, can understand what the Spirit means. Those who are spiritual, born again, can evaluate all things. It means the reason why when you become born again, you get heavenly software, you now can have true perspective, true discernment. The world doesn't have that ability. But they themselves, in other words, you can't be evaluated by this world because the world doesn't understand. It has a very temporal mindset. Who can know the Lord's thoughts? Who, can, who knows enough to teach him? Watch this. I love this. But we understand these things, for we have the mind of Christ. Isn't that something? For, I, I mean, I love that. But as a born-again person, I have the mind of Christ. If you are born again, you have the mind of Christ. That is mind-blowing to think of. You can actually begin to think the thoughts of God. I can think the thoughts of God. You know, it's interesting. Several years ago, there were these four psychologists, pretty well-known psychologists, and they were trying to figure out the purpose of life. You know, we were out on Lark Street yesterday. You, you, you want a trip? <laughs> you know, it was more exciting just to watch these people. But you've never seen such confusion. Never seen such confusion. People, I asked them, person after person, and you, know, you know, you got men wearing skirts now. I mean, you got men with shoulder. I, I didn't know what I was looking at. I, I thought it was, you know, it was unbelievable. These people are messed up. And you're just, you, you know, you feel bad for them. You really, they are confused. And you're asking, what, what, what is the purpose of life? They don't have a clue. Well, these four psychologists, worldly psychologists, decide to ask the famous people, the well-known people, what they think the purpose of life is. Listen to what they found. Listen to this. Some said, life is unknowable. Life is a mystery. Famous people such as Bob Dylan, Stephen Hawking espoused this view. Then there were those who said life has no meaning. Such luminaries as Sigmund Freud, Bertrand Russell, and Jean-Paul Sartre believed that. There were those who said, we are here to create our own meaning of life. Such famous people as Carl Sagan and the great atheistic philosopher Friedrich Nietzsche held this view. Some actually said, life is nothing but a grand joke. Not too surprising, Charlie Chaplin held that view, as did Oscar Wilde and Albert Camus. And then finally, there were a few who said that the purpose of life is to worship God, is to know God and prepare for the afterlife. Not too surprising, Billy Graham held this view and so did Mother Teresa. You know, you can lump all of these understandings of the purpose of life into two categories. The first category is that the purpose of life is somehow about you. Something. Somehow it's about you and and making your way in this temporal world and being something and grabbing all that you can get. That's almost all of of the views. And then there's one view, which few people have, and it's understanding that life is not about you, but it's about God. See, he makes your life worth. He's huge. He gives you meaning. He gives you purpose in your life. See, most people's world is way too small. It's just themselves. It's a beautiful thing when you begin to focus on God. Oh, your, 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 your vision expands and you begin to say, wow, life has meaning now. 
And this is just preparatory. Ah, eternity looms. It's forever and ever and ever. And God has a great plan for my life. Do you understand that? Do you understand that? But you see, if you're not born again and you don't have a new nature and you don't have the Holy Spirit and you don't have the heavenly software downloaded into your soul, you you just can't grasp that. You just simply cannot see that. You know, I want to look at verse 14 as we begin to wind down here. Skip, can you put it up? It's very interesting observation Paul makes, but he says this. But people who aren't spiritual, in other words, people who aren't saved or born again, can't receive these truths from God's Spirit. It all sounds foolish to them, and they can't understand it. For those, only those who are spiritual, meaning born again, can understand what the Spirit means. So only born again people can understand spiritual truths. Let me ask you a question. What is this? It's a Bible, and it's full of spiritual truths. See, now, now here's, here's the mind-boggling thing, and, 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 and I, I need your attention just for the rest of this. One of the most disturbing things to me that I see in the American church is the sheer number of Christians who say to me, you know, this, this, this book here, it just, it, it, it just really holds no interest for me. No, 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 I'm, 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 I'm really serious. It blows my mind. People come up to me, and they say, you know, I'm a, I'm a born-again Christian pastor, but I have no desire to read this Bible. Now, what am I supposed to say to them? Of course, they want me to make them feel good. That's what I'm paid for, by the way, is to make you feel good, right? But no, you know, I say, look, do you, do you want me to tell you the truth, or do you want me to lie to you? You know, they always look at you, what, what? Well, I want the truth. Are you sure you want the truth? Well, yeah, I, I want the truth. Well, the truth is there's only two options here. Either you're in sin. Do you know what? There's a, there's a saying that says, you know, sin will keep you from this book, or this book will keep you from sin. Isn't that kind of interesting? See, once you're in sin, see, you quench, what's, in the Bible it's called, in Christianity, you, you quench the Holy Spirit in you, and you lose all desire for holy things. Spiritually, that's one possibility. I call that temporary insanity. There's another possibility, and that possibility is that you're not truly born again. Now, people don't want to hear that, but that's the only other possibility there is. See, if you're not born again, you do not have a new nature, you do not have the Holy Spirit, and the heavenly software has not been downloaded into your mind. And if that's true, how is it possible that you would have any interest in this book? You're not. Not, not, not only that, it's going to be an enigma to you. It's going to be impossible for you to understand it. And you're, when you're going to wing it because you're going to say it's the stupidest thing I've ever seen. I, I, I had one guy actually come up to me yesterday. we got to move on this. But on Lark Street, he goes, you're a moron. No, he comes right up to me. He goes, he, and, then, and, and he walks away. Seriously, he walks away like this. He comes back to me. Do you believe in heaven? I said, Yes. He says, you're a bigger moron than I thought. And then he walks away. Now, but what do you expect? The guy, he couldn't possibly comprehend it. Now, you know, just just winding this down. You know, all this week, I've been reading studies and polls and and whatnot on on evangelical Christians, supposedly born-again Christians, you know, uh, and and, and their Bible reading. And here's what I'm going to be generous. I found out 
that 20, according to the study, 20%, just 20% of you read this book four or more times a week for 15 minutes to a half hour a day. Only 20%. And so the obvious question is, you go, wow, why don't people have more interest who, who are supposedly born again in, in reading this book? George Barna comes in here. He's the foremost religious pollster today. And he actually polled you guys. He polled a lot of the born-again population of the American church. Two major reasons. Do you know what the first reason is? I don't have much interest in this book. Can you believe it? That, that was the first thing people said. The first thing people said is they literally do not have much interest in this book. And, I, and, and I'm thinking, how is that possible? How is it possible for someone to say, you know, I am truly born again, but I have no interest in this book? It would be like a lawyer saying, you know what? I have no interest in law, in law books. I have no interest in reading them. It would be like a chef saying, you know what? I hate reading cookbooks. Just have no interest in cookbooks. It would like be a, a swimmer saying, you know what? I don't like water. Wait, 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 you're a swimmer, you don't like water. I'm a born-again Christian, but I don't care about the Bible. God's love letters. Whoa. Really? Is that, is that possible? Second reason. I love the second reason because I hear it all the time. Busy. I'm too busy. Just, just pass. I like to read this, but I'm too busy. Ding, 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 ding. New York Times. New York Times, so it says this comes out of New York Times. This is their poll. You can look at it. It, made, it. it actually made headlines. But the New York Times and the New York Daily News said that the average American watches television for 5.1 hours every day. Five point, the Nielsen boxes don't lie. 5.1 hours. Now, I, I find that, you know, I don't think that's quite right. You know what I think is really more true? I think there's a combination of watching television, surfing the Internet, and being on social media for five hours a day. But, Pastor, I, 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 I'm just too busy. I just don't have time to read the Bible. Really? Really? See, the truth of the matter is we're not too busy. I used to have a... Professor Howard Hendricks, and he would say, you know what? He would say, your priorities are showing. See, unless you have the Spirit of God, you will have no interest in this book. It will be an enigma to you, and you won't have the mind of Christ. So let me challenge us, all right? The challenge is real simple. Imagine with me for a moment right now that you died. Right now, you die. Skip, put up the picture. And you find yourself standing before Jesus. And all of a sudden, this massive movie screen comes out of the ground. You didn't know they have movie screens in heaven, but they do. And guess what's projected up on the screen? It's a graph. And the graph is Jeff Eckstein's leisure time. In percentages, percentages, 100%. How did Jeffrey spend his leisure time? Let's see. Television, movies, social media. How much time did he spend? 
10, 20, 30, eating, 50. How about a hobby? Let's put a percentage on it. How much time do you play Satan's game? Say golf. How much time on your hobby? 10%, 20, 30. No, put the, because something like this is going to happen. How about, how about your house? Just chores, fixing the car up. You know, you got, you got to keep this thing up. 10, 20, 30% of your time, your leisure time. How about, how about, how about time spent with the family? Do you know that family time is actually going down? Because, by the way, watching television with your family is not family time. People go, well, I'm having family time. No, no, you're all passively becoming zombies as you're watching the television. That's not family. Family time is actually interacting. It's way down. You know what? I think it's about 5%. Sad. How much time would you have spent with God? Reading, studying his word, just praying, walking with him? You include Sunday morning if you want, being in a small group. You know where the average born-again Christian falls on that? About 50 hours of leisure time, approximately a week, less than 10% of their time. I I just, I I appeal to you. See, I'm asking. See, if I'm truly born again, and I know what happens, a revolution. I'm not talking about sinless perfection. I'm talking a revolution happens in your heart and your mind. And you become interested in God and, and, and the things of him. It, it just comes from within. And see, if you're truly born again, then you're really going to have a transformation of your mind and holy things. Lord, I just, uh, I'm just praying right now. I thank you for each person that you brought here this morning. It's not by accident. And I, I ask that, Truth would reign, that no one would try to rationalize it away or deny it, but but allow the Spirit to bring truth, not for the purpose of condemnation, but for the purpose of bringing conviction and then real repentance and then real healing and real freedom results. It's so beautiful when the Holy Spirit is gushing up within a person. Man, that's life. Even this comes from a person suffering from depression. I pray that. See, Satan's line, the world's line. The greatest life that you can have in this life is a spirit of God, like a spring welling up, bringing love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. I pray that for every single person here. And for those that don't know it, that even now they would just come and repent and surrender to you and begin to experience that life. And I ask for that in your precious name. Amen. Hi, I'm Jeff Eckstein, one of the pastors here at Bethlehem Community Church. Welcome to our Sunday podcast, coming to you from the town of Bethlehem in upstate New York in the USA. Bethlehem Community Church is an independent, non-denominational, Bible-based evangelical church that includes people with backgrounds from many denominations. We believe that it is only through the love of the Father the sacrifice of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ on the cross, and the power of the Holy Spirit, that we can come into a personal relationship with God. We are people truly seeking a deeper intimacy with God and with one another. If you'd like to know more about our church, please visit our website at www.bccdelmar.org. 
There you'll be able to find our Statement of Faith, as well as more about the ministry of Bethlehem Community Church. You'll also be able to submit prayer requests, as we are called to pray with and for you. We also would love to hear your story and how you found our podcast and where you're listening from. So please visit our website and send us an email. Again, it's bccdelmar.org. That's bccdelmar.org. Thank you for joining us as we continue our pursuit of knowing God and making Him known.